What's up, everybody? You wanna know something really cool? I have done this intro part literally three or four times. And no matter what happens or what I say or what, we're not going to use any other cut. We're using this one right here. Here's the deal. When, when you get me into this word, I'm good to go. But when you have to do cold open, y'all aren't here. I know we're gathered together online right now. I know right now we've been worshiping in God's presence wherever we are, and we're making much of Jesus. But you're, you're not here, so I'm cold open, you know? I'm just going straight into it. But we're not doing it over. We're going right into God's word, and we're going to make most, much of Jesus today. Are you ready? I hope so, because I'm going to Galatians chapter three. Look at somebody in your house and say, let's flatten the curse. That's right, say, let's flatten the curse. Uh, wait a second, isn't it supposed to be curve? No, it's not. Today, we're flattening the curse. Galatians three, look what Paul says. Check out the tone and the inflection in this verse. Um, he's got something he wants to say, something he wants he wants his audience to hear. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. Let's, let's read that again. Sometimes you gotta read scripture more than once. We want this to sink in. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. There is not a worse feeling than thinking that you have been bewitched or somebody's cast a spell on you or that you are living under some kind of curse. Uh, for the longest time, I feel like I have been living under a curse. Now, I've tried to get help. Um, I've brought a lot of different people in to this thing that I've dealt with. I've changed my environments. I've went to different places. I've implemented all kinds of measures. I've even researched it online. I've got advice. Um, but when it comes, and now some of you are going to laugh, and I know, I know, I know all, all my countryfied guys are going to be like, all right, preacher, let's, let me see your man card. We're going to have to put, put a hole in it. No, listen to me. I feel like I'm cursed when it comes to catching fish. All right? I'm serious. Look, I'm, I'm a man's man, okay? You know, I got a 12 o'clock shadow, right? You know, I'm, I'm a man's man, all right? I know I drive a Mazda, but I'm a man's man. But I can't catch fish. Not, I don't know if there's some kind of spiritual implication here or what, but I seriously have issues. Like even when I was growing up, it was like a thing. Like, hey, Derek can't catch fish. Well, they just won't bite. It just, it just won't happen. I, I, we went on a guided fish tour. Me and my best friend growing up, we went on a guided fish tour to Lake Sinclair. And this dude who was paid to help us catch fish, we're out there for hours on end. And he's like, I don't know what the problem is, guys. I, I've never had this happen before. But we're just, we're not having any luck today. We didn't catch a single fish on the whole tour. And my friend's looking at me like, dude, you are a curse. This is your fault. Like even the professional can't do it. I went to people's ponds. I've had people take me up on the challenge. Hey, you come to my pond. Hey, you come to my lake. You'll catch a fish. I guarantee you. I've had it where I'm standing there holding a fishing rod 
And the other guy is catching all the fish. And he's like, I don't know what the problem is, man. And my phone rings in the truck. I hand my fishing pole to my buddy, go to get my phone. And as I'm going up the hill to get my phone, I hear splashing in the water, look over my shoulder down the hill, and my buddy's reeling in a catfish as big as my leg. What, what the heck? Done the same thing with my wife. You know, it's like, it's like I was bewitched or somebody cast a spell on me and I'm living out this curse. I can't catch a fish. And, and maybe you've got your own little thing that you just, you just, you can't do it, right? It doesn't happen. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much energy you put into it, no matter who you employ to help you or what kind of measures you implement, you just can't do it. This, this is the kind of frustration that the, that the Apostle Paul is having when he writes this letter because he feels like his audience has been bewitched by, by some false teaching, some false teachers. And Paul's just perplexed at how the Christians in Galatia have literally been duped back into thinking that, well, we have to keep the Old Testament law that Moses wrote in order to have a rightness with God. And, and what, what really aggravates him is he's already taught them that the only way you can have a right relationship with God is through faith and faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And in fact, if you read chapter three and you, you start in verse one and you go from two all the way down to nine, you see that he basically Swiss cheeses their confusion and these deceptive arguments that are looming over this church. Like he's basically saying, all right, is everything that God's doing in your life right now and in your church, is all that a result of you keeping the law? Like, did you receive the spirit of God by performing the works of the law? And, and after, after your new life started in the spirit of God and you were transformed into a new creature, are you now sanctified and perfected by upholding and keeping all the statutes of the law? And, and when it comes to all the supernatural works, like, can you see him saying all this? And like, 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 like Paul's not the kind of guy you want to debate with or have an argument with. And so he's basically saying like in verse five, when it, all, when it comes down to all the supernatural works that God's doing through the spirit of God in your life and in your church, is that also a byproduct of you keeping the law? And, and he tackles in verses six through nine. I love this, the way he does this. He even goes back to their father, Abraham. And he, he addresses the whole idea that even through Abraham, everything that God did with Abraham was all through faith as well. So you're not any different. This is all gonna come down to faith, not you keeping some kind of law. And then Paul drops this bomb on them once again. This truth bomb in verse 10, look, look what it says. For as many are as of the works of the law. In other words, as many people are relying on the law, those people are under the curse. For it's written, cursed is everyone that continueth not, underline that, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man, not even me and you, no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. Speaking of witchcraft and, and the casting of a spell, Paul's saying in verse 10, if, if you attempt to keep the law and you don't, you're then cursed by the very law you couldn't keep. 
See, when God gave the law to his people, it was a holy standard, a standard and a set of rights, rituals, and rules that God used as a covenant to teach man how to conduct himself in a relationship with God. Now, now we also know that this law was impossible to keep perfectly. Like, you have to understand that. Nobody could live up to that standard. Nobody would live up to the standard that God's holiness would rightfully require. So you're probably thinking the same thing I've thought many times. Why in the world would God give his people a law that they could not keep? Well, the law is what revealed man's sinful condition. The law is what revealed to his people how bad they needed God. And it revealed that they never could, never would be good enough to, here we go, perform in such a way that would be pleasing or accepting to God. And that's why God established this need for sacrifice and bloodshed to forgive and atone for the sins of his people. And so the the sacrificing of animals and the keeping of this law, it's all a demonstration really of someone's faith in God. And so are, are you still with me? Under the law, the Jewish people would always be in need of God's mercy, and they would always be in need of the provision of sacrifice, and they would always be reminded that they would never be good enough to be accepted by God. Did you, did you notice the wording in verse number 10? Did you notice that? Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things. He's, he's saying everyone that relies on the law is going to end up under its curse. Why? Because you can't keep it. You can't and you won't continue in all things of the law. Basically, if you're gonna keep it, guess what? You gotta keep all of it perfectly, all the time, without fail, without fault. And and, and just in case you're starting to get confident in your own ability, this is not talking about the 10 commandments alone you got hanging on the kitchen wall. This is talking about the totality of the Mosaic law, all 613 commandments. And here's what's so sad about all this. You ready? The church Paul's writing to has been deceived back into thinking that there's something they can do to make God like them, love them, accept them, use them, bless them. Well, that that kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? I mean, It's pretty crazy if you think about it. After all this time, so many of God's people are still under that same spell, living out that same curse, the curse of trying to perform for God, trying to be good enough, trying to be spiritual enough, holy enough, churchy enough, faithful enough, righteous enough, and you still can't, and I still can't. Here's the deal. You will not impress God. Nope, not with your good works, not with your charitable contributions, not with your church attendance, not with your deeds or your religion. I don't care how well you perform. You can give an Oscar-winning performance and accept the award. You will never perform enough to impress God. The reality is it is so easy for us to get hoodwinked into thinking that God's righteousness and God's holiness Somehow it's attainable. It's attainable by our self-led spirituality. My God, we are so wrong, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, if I, if I wanna get into a performance-based relationship with God, Paul says, all right, dude, start with the law. 
I mean, if you're going to do this whole thing and work your tail off for it, start with the law. Remember, remember this, people who position themselves under the workload of that law, they're going to be cursed because they're not going to be able to do it. And he's basically saying, if you're going to do it, you got to do all of it, man. And the same goes for you and I. If we're going to do it, we got to do all of it. Do we really want to live like that? That's what Paul's getting at. Do you really want to live your life like that? Always knowing that you will try with everything you've got, but there's nothing you'll ever be able to do when it comes to your performance that will impress, please, or allow God to be in a relationship with you. See, when it all comes down to performance, it means it's up to you. It means that you have to do something. Do. You have to do them. Paul says, do. Say, say that word with me, do. No, say it again, do. That is exactly what Satan wants you to believe, do. That is exactly what religion wants you to think, do. That's exactly what a performance-based system wants you to attempt, do. The law said do. The commandments said do. The ceremonies said do. The sacrifices said do. The standards, the rituals, the ordinances, the priest, the tabernacle, the temple, all of it said do. Do. The holy, righteous standard of God said, okay, well, this is what you got to do. And man could not and still cannot do it. Today, 2020, God's church, we still can't do it. What's the deal? Why is that? Well, apart from God, you're just like me. You're sinful and you're selfish. You're unholy, you're ungodly, you're carnal, you're sinister, you're crooked, you're cold, you're perverted. You want me to keep going or stop? I'll stop. The point's this. We cannot do anything. We cannot do anything to enter into a right relationship with God. All right, well, did you get on here and arrange this whole thing this morning so you could just give me bad news, preacher? What was the deal? No, listen to me. I've got hope for you. I've got encouragement for you. Because here's what you do. Nothing. Nothing. Yes, do nothing. Because when you and I could not do anything, God did everything. God did what we could not do. He did everything about what could not be done. God did everything to meet his own standard. God did everything to fulfill his own demands. God did everything to satisfy his own law. See, in verse 13, Paul flips the script. Did you see that? Verse 13, he says, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Through Jesus, God did everything. God did what needed to be done. Remind you, we were cursed, yet God took matters into his own hands, and he did everything about the curse that we could not do. And may I say, when God did everything about that curse, he did something about the curse of sin in your life. He did something about the curse of death that knocks at our door. And he did something about the curse of the law that hangs over our head. Through Jesus, God flattened the curse. He didn't just lower it. 
He didn't just adjust it or drop it or modify it. He flattened it completely. And we've got this concept now, this medical terminology that has become ra rather prominent and popular here in the last couple of months, this flatten the curve concept where a certain number of people are going to contract this illness and disease. But by taking uh, sp specific measures and drastic measures, we can take that quantity and stretch it out over a longer period of time and we can flatten that curve. And if we take the right measures and we implement the right strategies, the medical professionals believe that we can flatten that curve of what would have happened in a short period of time. And, and let me say this, ladies and gentlemen, our God took some drastic measures 2,000 years ago. And because of his son, Jesus, there has been some success flattening not just a curve, but flattening a curse. And because of my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to report to you today that the curse is flat. That's right. Jesus flattened the curse the curse that we would bear all the days of our life and the curse that we would live under, the curse that we would feel, the curse of never being enough and never being accepted and never being righteous and never being holy, that curse that religion puts on us and performance demands, that, that curse that our works will have to do and trying in our own power, yet we're never able to do it or to keep it to the standard that God requires. For when the law of God called for us, May I report to you, it was the grace of God that answered for us. The law says do, but grace says done. The law says to try, but grace says trust. The law says to behave, but it is the grace of God that says to believe. For my Savior, the Lamb of the living God, Jesus, he was the full demonstration of God's grace. He was God's grace in action. He was God's grace put on display on two pieces of wood hung and suspended between heaven and hell. It was Jesus who came into existence. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God. Can I report to you today it was Jesus and Jesus alone that flattened the curse of sin, death, and the law over our lives. Oh my goodness, I wanna to go to church with somebody right now. I wanna rejoice with somebody right now. I wanna give God my best praise right now because Jesus did everything when in my best works I could do nothing. He flattened the curse. And now, my God, I want you to get this. There's no need for me to earn God's love. <laughs> There's no need for me to work for God's love or contribute my money for God's love, to plead or beg for God's love. Like Paul tells the readers in Galatians chapter three, I want you to know the same thing he was saying, that Jesus flattened the curse and he flattened the curse permanently. Say that with me, permanently. He flattened the curse permanently. He says in verse 13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. See, when Jesus dealt with the curse, he handled it forever. 
I want you to get this. He handled it forever, never to be dealt with ever again. God did not take the law and move it somewhere down the timeline of eternity for me to bump into it later on. He didn't hide it on the other side of the grave. He didn't hide it somewhere on the other side of the Bema seat or the white throne judgment or over on the new heaven and the new earth. No, when God dealt with the law through Christ, he removed it completely, permanently, because when God bought us from the snare and the snatch of the devil, God redeemed us and he paid for us. He paid the full price for admission so you and I could go free. Jesus was the ransom for our deliverance out from under the dominion of the law. He was the payment paid in full for the mounting sin debt that you and I had. And when Jesus died, it was done. When he cried, it is finished, God shut the book. God signed it off. And through his blood, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Are you getting that with me this morning? We've been redeemed and God has flattened the curse permanently. And he, he goes on to tell us that Jesus flattened the curse positionally. He says, for it is written, look at your Bible, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. See, Jesus was able to stop the curse because he became the curse. The curse of the law over my life and yours. That, that need, that drive, that mentality, that lie that we've got to work our way to heaven or behave our way into a relationship with God, that curse stopped at Jesus. It stopped at him. It stopped with him. Literally, it stopped on him. Because when he died on the cross, God was trading spots with you and spots with me. God put himself in human form through the Lord Jesus Christ. God put himself in a position where he would take all of the curse for you and for me. He became the very sting of your sin. He became the receiver of your penalties. He felt the full force of judgment that was intended for you in your sin against God. And see, when Paul says it's written, and then he says, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. He, he's quoting from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy that teaches and tells us someone dying on a tree literally embodies the very curse of the law itself. Now, think of the great catalog of curses that were a part of the law and how every one of them was directly aimed at Jesus when he died. Think of that. Think of the weight of all your wrong, of all your shame and all your guilt and all of that judgment being placed on Jesus in the very moments of his death. When he died, he knew no sin, yet he became sin for us that a great exchange could take place. Our sin placed on him and his righteousness transferred to us. And when he died, he died a death that could only satisfy the father as the final sacrifice ever needed. When he died, he died on that tree and the sun hid its face. 
When he died, he died on that tree and the earth trembled and shook in fear. When he died, he died on that tree and the temple veil was was ripped top to bottom. And when he died, he died on that tree. And even the soldier himself said, truly, this was the son of God. Jesus died on a tree, a cross. And that tree was the very symbol of the curse of the law. He died wearing a crown of thorns and thorns were the very symbol of the curse of the fall. And God entered into a positional exchange when he put his son on this cross where he became the sin and he became the curse in the stead of me and of you. See, Jesus flattened the curse personally. Did you notice in verse 13, sandwiched right in the middle of that verse was a little phrase, for us, he became a curse for us. When Jesus dealt with this curse, he did it for us. He removed all the elements and the very essence of our need to ever please God by ourselves. Jesus did everything so you wouldn't have to do anything. Jesus pleased the Father. My God, I hope you get that somebody that's been saved over a decade and you're still struggling with how well or how well you don't perform. Listen to me, Jesus was enough to please the Father. We can take you to the nearest creek and baptize you a thousand times. You can miss church every, you can come to church and never miss, be here every single week. You can contribute your finances, 99% of your income to all kinds of charitable causes, but you're never going to please the Father because the satisfaction of God was only placed in the person of Christ. That's why when Jesus was baptized and he started his ministry at the age of 30 and the Spirit of God like a dove descended upon him at the Jordan River, that's why the Father opened up the heavens and said, this is my beloved Son in whom I well pleased. Jesus was everything Adam was meant to be. Jesus was everything that you and I were intended to be. And he was everything that God the Father wanted him to be. God was pleased with the person of Jesus Christ. I get it. I get it. In the middle of sitting here preaching, running this tangent, I'm having myself a good time. I hope you are too. The reality is I kind of step out of this little preaching bubble. I got to shift down for a second and I get it. You're probably still feeling like you have to do something, right? Like I know all this. I've been preaching this stuff for almost two decades and I still have days where I'm like, I don't feel like that's real. You ever have days like that? Like sometimes I actually wake up and I'm like, God, I do not feel saved today. God, I'm struggling already and I haven't even got out of bed yet. How, how are you struggling and you're just laying there? I have days like that. Like, I get it. I'm in the middle of preaching this, ladies and gentlemen, and there's a part of me that maybe I'm just being too real that can step out of the frame and look and listen to me preaching this going, that's hard. I know all these things. I believe all these things. But sometimes I still feel like I need to do something. Like, like, like I'm still incomplete. Like when I fail or when I come up short, like, like it makes God look the other way. 
Like he can't even tolerate me. He can't even stand me. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, why, why go to church? Why post anything about new grace? Why post anything about Jesus? Why read my Bible? Why pray? God don't want to hear from me. God don't like me right now. And you get this mentality, and I do too. I'm just not right with God anymore. Now, I get it. This was a personal thing that God did for me. And when I remind myself, and I'm, I'm reminding myself right now, when he did this, it was such a personal thing God did for me so that I could stop living in the madness of a cycle that says, you gotta perform, you gotta try harder, you gotta pray more, you gotta read more. God's not pleased with you right now. God doesn't like you right now. You're not doing a good job. So did this, does this start with me or does it start with God? Because according to what Paul's saying, sounds like it started with God. And it sounds like the acceptance aspect of this starts and it ends with God. So I've got to flatten this curse in my mind. And I've got to figure out how to just be at peace with what God did for me. I know it's like we're working our tail off to try to get here. But the reality is you need to stop wrestling and start resting. God told me to tell you that today. You need to stop wrestling and start resting. This is how you flatten the curse in your mind. Rest in what Jesus did. Oh God, somebody needs this today. Jesus, flatten your curse. Rest in that. Just rest in it. You've got to step back from everything. All your insufficiency, all your insecurity, all the aspects of where you come up short and you, and you just feel like you're never going to be able, you got to step back and throw your hands up and say, it's got to be him. It has to be him. I can't do this. This has got to be Jesus. And you rest in that and you take him at his word. You're going to mess up. Okay? I'll tell you, like I tell my kids, you're going to get this wrong. You're going to screw it up. You may be on a winning streak right now. Give it some time, okay? You're going to mess it up. And when you do, in the moment, many of us are going to feel distant from God. We're going to feel separated from God, disconnected from God. And if we're not careful, we'll listen to a religious voice crawl up our spine and perch on our shoulder and get in our ear and say, you just need to get right with God. You ever heard that? You ever went to church and a preacher got up and said, there's somebody in this room and you've got sin in your life. Have you ever heard that? <laughs> I heard that a lot after I got saved. I was in a lot of revivals and a lot of church services where a preacher would get up and he'd say, there's somebody here tonight who's got sin in their life. And I remember sitting there thinking, ding, 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 right here. Tell him what he's won. It's me. I've got sin currently in my life. I'm working on it. I'm dealing with it. Me and God are talking about it. And I'm trying to crucify that part of my flesh. Is there ever a time when you don't have sin in your life? No, seriously. Is there ever a time when you don't have sin in your life? You know as well as I do, there's something we finally crucify and we put it to death. We do what Paul said in the King James English. We mortify the members of our flesh. But then there's something else. We're starting to feel pretty good about ourselves. Man, I finally took care of that. That's been three years in the making. And then there's something from a decade that creeps up that you didn't even know was there. That idea, listen to me, that concept 
you need to get right with God. That is a breeding ground for shame. And I know what we mean when we say it. We're talking about being out of sync, out of harmony, out of fellowship with God. And we need to come back and we need to confess our sin before God, not for the sake of saving the relationship, for the sake of restoring fellowship. And we need to get back in sync with God. I know what we mean when we say that, but if you wanna be as biblically sound as possible and you say, hey dude, you just need to get right with God. That makes it sound like it's up to you and your ability to perform to come back into a right standing with God. When Paul says that we were made the righteousness of God in the transaction of Christ, God's righteousness has been applied to our life. His rightness, we are as right with God as we could ever be in Christ. Meaning the day you trusted Jesus, whether it was last Sunday, 10 years ago, or it's today, the day, the moment you put your faith in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the righteousness, the rightness, the being right with God is permanent. It's positional and it's personal. It's you and God in a right relationship. How can you grow in a relationship with someone if you're not even sure that you and that person have a right standing. Here's the deal. Whenever I am trying to achieve perfection and I'm letting perfectionism drive me somewhere, mark it down, shame is always riding shotgun. Always. I will always come short. And shame will be right there to remind me why I'm not good at being a Christian and why I'm not a good child of God, why I'm not a good father, why I'm not a good husband, why I'm not a good pastor, a good leader, a good preacher, a good person. Shame's always right there. So if I let Jesus uphold my perfection, I don't get, up, I don't get caught up with trying to do something to please God. Get this, get this, and I'll close. I never felt like I could do anything for God until I was able to finally get to the place where I rested in what he did for me. Did you catch that? I never did anything for God until I came to terms with what he did for me. And when I realized that what he did was enough, that's when the doing started. Like now I do. I do because he did. I understand what he did. I rest in what he did. And I'm as right with God right now as I was at my best moment and I was at my worst moment. And so now I do because he did. I do the church thing. I do the Christian life. I do the surrender to Jesus. I do the take up the cross and follow me. I do preach the word. I do read it. I do pray. I do give my money to the church. I do because he did. I don't do it so I can be saved. I do it because I am saved. And today, I don't know who needs this the most, but there's someone gathered with me right now and you need to hear this. Today's the day where you stop wrestling and you start resting. Rest in the fact that Jesus has flattened your curse and you trust in that. Today, right now, you trust in that by faith and you put your faith and your faith alone in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only way to go to heaven, 
to be forgiven and to enter into a relationship with God the Father. Any other effort, any other means and any other measures is performance. It's works. And you and I both know that'll never be enough because that puts us under a perfect standard of God's law that we can't keep. So if you're making that decision today to put your faith in Christ, this is your buy-in moment right now. Whether I'm there with a Bible or somebody's holding you by the hand and leading you in some prayer, right there where you are, you can say yes to God by putting your faith in Christ for your salvation. And if you do that, if that happens today, and you make that decision, my God, I wanna know it. I wanna celebrate it with you. I want you to click on that next, step, next Steps link and I want you to let us know what God did for you today. Like that's a big deal. We wanna celebrate that with you. I wanna help you take your next step. And for those of you, you've been saved five years, 10 years, 30 years, but you still get caught up living under this curse. You need to remind yourself, Jesus has flattened that curse. It no longer exists. God does not expect perfection out of you. He's not measuring your acceptance by your ability. What he wants is your availability. And that starts with your faith, not wrestling, but rather resting in what he did. And knowing that what needs to be done started with what he did, today you have an opportunity to finally do something for God because of what he did for you. Thank you so much for joining me today.